so first there will be a little bit of a uh, an excessively flowery written intro, and then we will jump in. <laughs> that goes a something like this. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimore On, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 91 of Baltimoreans, the show that, like Orioles broadcaster Gary Thorne, often turns to the Steve Martin film The Jerk for inspiration. I only had one of those t-shirts. I'd be set for life. One t-shirt and one bat. One t-shirt, one bat, and one ball. <laughs> Wouldn't need anything else. <laughs> and the pitch taken outside. Here's Napoli. He's single to race on an error. I'm really worried about you. You should be. <laughs> I'm worried about me, for goodness sake. What a great film, Sam. What a great film. I would say a great film and a great man. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have a fantastic show on tap for you. And when I say fantastic, I mean... We've got a full-blown blown Donnybrook here! In just a bit, we'll talk to our dear friend Dana, whose trust you may recall us betraying on last year's <laughs> Fix the Mets episode, for which we invited her on the air and then proceeded to make fun of her allegiance to the woeful fightin' Neuenheises for an hour. Uh, for some reason, Dana has agreed to return to the program to tell us about her upcoming move to Los Angeles and how it's going to affect her all-weather fandom. We'll, of course, be offering her some advice on how to cope with the challenge, which will likely go about as well as it did last time. <laughs> Why she keeps on coming on, I'll never know. <laughs> People like her are our only hope. <laughs> of course, no episode of Baltimoreans would be complete without our most popular recurring segment, the Melvin Mora Franchise Report. You know, there's been a lot of talk lately about the Orioles' defensive struggles at third base, their lack of production from the middle of the batting order, and a general frustration about inconsistent performance. And folks, it got us thinking here at Hootenanny Studios, thinking back to that oh-so-recent time when there was literally nothing to look forward to about an Orioles game, a time that often makes us feel sorry for the gritty, unheralded performances of Nick Markakis and Brian Roberts, who consistently put up what would likely have been all-star caliber numbers on a team that had won more games. We grieve for them frequently, morons. And yet, we almost never pause to reflect upon the remarkably productive 10 years that Melvin Morris spent in an Orioles uniform. That's amazing. Think about that for a second. And see if you can come up in your head with a rough estimate of Mora's cumulative slash line during those 10 seasons. Go ahead, try. Do do do. Did you come up with anything? Or is it like what happened when I tried to do it? Your mind suddenly softened into a tepid soup of misery and regret from which barely a single memory can emerge. <laughs> the fact, morons, is that Melvin Mora slashed 280, 355, 438 for the Orioles, belting 158 home runs along the way. For the sabermetrically inclined among you, Mora's peak seasons at the hot corner were worth more total wins against replacement than a lot of guys you'd probably think of before the Melvinator. Terry Pendleton, Mike Lowell, Scott Brogius, Sean Figgins, Vinny Castilla, Martin Prado, Edwin Encarnacion, Aaron Boone, and Dean Palmer. That's a list that includes some of the most high-profile third basemen of the late 90s and early 2000s, and Mora deserves to be on it. That's why we pause each week to honor the proud legacy of the man who puts the more in Baltimoreans. 
<laughs> now, folks, speaking of tepid soups of misery and regret, that is a lot of content to throw in the crockpot, apply some audio heat, and bring to a boil. And I'll bet there's more than a few of you out there who are considering doing what I almost did instead, which is to say opting for takeout low main and kicking back with one of our fine sister wife podcasts on the Baltimore Sports Report Network. And the fact is that no one could blame you for doing so. Making that choice virtually guarantees you an evening filled with first-rate Orioles baseball analysis and enigmatically designed cardboard food containers. But before you go, do what I actually did and take a listen to the wise words of my esteemed colleague, Alan Smith. Episode 91 presents us with a conundrum. There are so many relevant percentages that it is hard to sort through and discover which thing is the most emblematic, provides the most context, and is the most important for our little project here at episode 91. Because 91 seems to be a placeholder in all popular polling for basically close enough to 100%, this is getting pretty ridiculous. For example, in 1871, did you know that 91% of pitchers played the entire game before this whole relief thing became all the rage? This is a good fact, Baltimoreans, but it's frankly a little bit too relevant for what we do on these shows. So I'm going to go a little bit deeper. The fact that, for example, 91% of congressional elections are won by the candidate that raises the most money is interesting, but it's hard to say if that's more the power of the dollar or the power of the incumbency, and again, we're getting a little bit too much in this show's wheelhouse here. Not special enough for the uniqueness of this day, the very last April 22nd, 2014, that we will ever get to see. Let's dig deeper. Same for the fact that 91% of Americans are in favor of passing comprehensive background checks for people looking to buy guns. This is A, too relevant for the intro to this show, and B, too relevant for Congress to pay any attention to whatsoever. Let's go deeper. 91% of kids are vaccinated against whooping cough in California. This is the lowest number since 1947. Blah, blah, blah. Deeper, deeper, deeper. Aha! Here we go. According to a survey conducted in 2013 among Dutch citizens between the ages of 18 and 55, 91.2% of people like sex. There it is. There is the obscure, slightly unbelievable, hard-to-quantify statistic that really gets to the heart of episode 91 of Baltimoreans. If this podcast were a percentage, ladies and gentlemen, we'd be as popular as sex. Now, don't think about that analogy too hard. Don't think about what the heck the other 8.8% of survey respondents were doing. Instead, with this new level of wide-eyed wonder and exploration firmly in hand, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 91, confident that you have all the context you could ever need. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Melvin Mora Franchise Report, where each week we take the three most relevant news items from Birdland and beyond and assign them a ranking, ranging from strikeout to home run. Well, Sam, as we roll tape this very evening, the Orioles' uh, record stands at 9-9. Nine and nine. We are one and a half games behind the nefarious New York Yankees. Um, I was personally assured, Sam, by you, as far as I remember, that I would not have to worry about the Yankees at all this season. Is that, is that, does it ring a bell? Uh, those, those are words that I said. 
I'd like to know what ranking you'd give the team entering week four, and I would also appreciate a personal apology. Uh, well, I'm, I take after Mitt Romney in my podcasting <laughs> style. I will not apologize for this podcast or the America in which it is produced. <laughs> I will, however, give you my ranking All right. of the Orioles at this part of the season. I'm going to assign them a ranking of one SK ballpark Frank without toppings, <laughs> which is to say, first and foremost, edible. Okay. Uh, the FDA classifies it as edible. Technically. I think the, uh, the major leagues would, would classify us as a baseball team. <laughs> I would even give us a little bit delicious. Okay. Not scrumptious, okay. but a little bit delicious. Right now, we're talking about an Orioles team that needs a little bit of relish. <laughs> it needs maybe a little bit of sauerkraut to really become the, the unforgettable ballpark experience that we know that it can be. Um, I think it's really interesting that when we look at the Orioles so far this year, no one is saying what's wrong with this team, because I think you'd have to look pretty hard. You, you know, you could find some things that aren't going so well. Starting pitching hasn't always been there. Offense hasn't always been there. Uh, defense has had some key lapses, but these are clearly Little hiccups, not systemic problems. These are isolated moments in which things don't go well. The real question that we're asking about the 2014 Orioles is what's good about this team? What's really special? And so far, I think it's fair to say, I mean, obviously our record isn't even 500. Uh, who knows if it will still be by the time people hear this. But I think it's pretty indicative of the way the team has gone so far. It's, it's a solid, unspectacular team. But the good news, Smith, is that we know very well that our team has a lot of very special contributors. Chris mm. Davis is a special contributor. Adam Jones is a special contributor. Manny Machado, as soon as he gets back, is going to be a special <laughs> contributor. Uh, Tillman has started to show flas flashes of the fact that he can be a consistently special contributor. Kevin Gosman and Dylan Bundy universally agreed to be people who are going to be high-impact pitchers at this level as soon as they arrive. Mm. So mm. You're, Heard it before. You're Heard frowning before. at me. <laughs> I, I would point you to our lefty relief... <laughs> bullpen right now but uh, anyway uh no 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 right again <laughs> history doesn't count okay it's, okay it's like Mitt Romney always says why look <laughs> backward when you can look forward I believe in the future of this this all country right. all right and I believe in the future of this team well I would give it a Matt Weeder's stand-up triple mm. which is to say goddamn miraculous <laughs> because <laughs> okay. frankly the fact that we are nine and nine after having played all of the American League East teams, which everyone agrees is a terrible division of death and sadness, plus three games against Detroit, um, which is another very good team. We have literally not had the foot taken off the gas the entire time. Nope. We are down the uh, very important side of our infield, which has traditionally been our strength, uh, and not having Hardy or Machado in the lineup is brutal. And Chris Davis has not been hitting any home runs, and somehow we're still 9-9. Nine and nine. Which says to me kind of what you were saying, but I think it's an even more positive position than anyone's giving it credit for. Which is to say, I actually think this team uh, has gotten its, uh, you know, gotten its, its itself bloodied a little bit. It's made it through the first couple rounds, and the fact that we are at this point nine and nine, given who has been playing and what's been happening, is a, is a miracle. Well, and and I I agree with you completely, and I think the thing that's particularly uh, encouraging about that is that we're very fortunate in. Uh, our division 
to not have anybody who's really run away with it. Uh, the Yankee, we're only, as you said in the intro, we're only a game and a half behind the Yankees. I think it's pretty clear that uh, the Yankees are going to have to fight just as hard as we are. Same as has been true of the Rays. Same has been true of the Red Sox, perhaps most surprisingly of all. Same has been true of the Blue Jays. And we knew this going into the season, that everything was going to be really close. And what's fortunate is that we're not in a division where there's been a Braves or a Brewers. Where did that come from? Or... <laughs> Uh, Cardinals. Dad's going to regress to the mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or or in Oakland, who have already jumped out to such a big lead that there's a tremendous amount of pressure on us. There's pressure on us, but it's not a bar that we can't clear. Item number two on the report this week concerns an incident that we're all trying to forget. So please <laughs> forgive us for reminding you about it. This past Sunday night, ladies and gentlemen, the Orioles lost to the Red Sox in the bottom of the ninth at Fenway Park. Mike Karp had a hard line drive to left field, which was caught by David Lowe, who proceeded to fire a strike to third baseman Jonathan Scope, who should have caught that throw, turned to his left, and tagged a frozen Dustin Pedroia for the final out of the inning, sending us to extras. Instead, however, Scope mysteriously jumped out of the way of the throw, <laughs> allowing it to bounce past Matt Wieters to the backstop and enabling Pedroia to score the winning run. Orioles fans were understandably incensed by the play, which sparked a renewed round of debate about whether or not Scope has the defensive instincts to handle the hot Kona. Buck Showalter, however, had him right back out there for yesterday's matinee series finale, which of course caused all of us to complain loudly on Twitter, start drinking before noon, and then quietly remind ourselves that Buck knows more about baseball than we ever will. But... In a post on his School of Rock blog today, Rock Kabatko relates an interesting scene from the clubhouse just after Sunday night's game, wherein Oriole infield coach Bobby Dickerson and J.J. Hardy pulled Scope away from the team banquet and spent a few minutes talking to him quietly about what happened on the play. In the piece, Dickerson reminds Kabatko, and by extension, us, that Scope only played 24 games at third base in the minor leagues before being asked to step in for the best defensive third baseman in baseball this season and assures him that Scope was even harder on himself than the fans have been. Smith, what is your take, not on the play, but on this particular clubhouse anecdote? Goodbye, home run. Goodbye, home run! Very nice. I think that this is uh, indicative of all of the things that we talk about about loving Buck Showalter. I think that it is indicative of exactly what I said on the previous item of the report, which is to say... Uh, he's playing out of position. He is a young player who is going to be replaced by Manny Machado, who is uh, the best defensive player in baseball, as soon as seven to ten days from now. Uh, and I think that, it, you know, this is one of those reasons why we should just all ignore Twitter and focus on actually watching baseball games. But it's so compelling. Yeah, but, you know... <laughs> There were uh, there was a there was a moment when uh, during when I was watching the Twitter feed at work instead of listening to the baseball game when I was convinced on, on the day game that you referenced earlier uh, on Monday I was convinced that the Orioles were in fact down by seven because everyone on Twitter was so <laughs> upset about what was happening it turned on we it turned out we still had the lead and went on to win the game never giving up that lead so I think it's important to remember that the people who are commentating. Uh, rabidly out there in the world, myself included, uh, have no idea what we're talking about and are emotionally fragile beasts <laughs> prone to ridiculous overstatement and, uh, you know, 
pointless uh, hyperbole. Who maybe need Orioles on-field success to fill a little sadness hole inside themselves? Maybe? <laughs> Potentially. Maybe? Potentially. Uh, if, if Dickerson would pull Again, me aside. Again, I include myself in If that. Bobby Dickerson could play a role in my life where he just pulled me aside every so often and reminded me that in context, I was doing okay, I think I'd be a lot happier. Especially That's all he, I'm saying. Especially if he was always wearing that half-batting helmet that he wears. <laughs> <laughs> Alan? You did your taxes wrong. It's okay. It's okay. And then he just knocks on the helmet every once in a while. Right. For emphasis. Just gives me a little bit a little bit of correction and a couple pointers. <laughs> uh, Alan, I... 1099C. 1099C. That's okay. It's okay. Now I'm going to run through the signs again. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that a real form? <laughs> uh, see, that's your problem. You're filling out fake tax forms. Um I'm going to to pretty much agree with you. I, I am giving this a David Simon... Um, <laughs> what? David Who? Simon being from Baltimore. Him? Stay with me now. Um, and David Simon has this really influential essay about writing. Okay. Because he says that when he sat down to write The Wire, he decided he was not concerned about the people who watched the show understanding what his characters were talking about. His concern was that the people in real life who his characters are supposed to represent, he was mortified that they would watch the show see versions of themselves talking and say, no, that's not how it is. Right. That's not how it is. And what I think is incredible about this blog item that Rock posted today is that this is how baseball actually works. <laughs> this is, the, all of us who think that we understand the intricacies of being on a major league baseball team that plays 162 games a year, year in and year out in the most difficult division in baseball, just because we watch it on TV, we don't. We don't, and the reason that we don't is because of incidents exactly like this, where there are people within the organization who understand what needs to be said to a particular guy at a particular time that both corrects the mistake that he made, but also is respectful of his talent and potential and understands the long game in a way that we're never going to. And so I think I agree with you that I think it's a home run that Bobby Dickerson and J.J. Hardy did that. But I also think it's a home run that Rock Kubatko shared this with us. And I am sure he did it intentionally as a way of saying, you guys, you don't up. know how baseball works. <laughs> yeah. This is how baseball works on the inside. And I think uh, as many opportunities as he and other people in the media can take to show us those moments instead of just doing Twitter play-by-play -play or Instagramming photographs of what sweaters people in the press box are wearing, <laughs> the more valuable I find their work to be. And finally, folks, item number three on this week's Melvin Moore Franchise Report is a very compelling article by Yahoo Sports' Jeff Passan, which you should really go at and read. We'll put a link in the show notes uh, for this episode at bemorons.com, but the piece is a follow-up to the LA Times eye-opening expose on the harrowing journey of Yasiel Puig from Cuba to the United States. And Passan reminds us that Puig is just one of many Cuban stars whose path to the big leagues has been dotted with threats of physical harm, um, kidnappings, sleazy middlemen who offer to help them defect in exchange for as much as 30% of their eventual big league earnings, and all sorts of other horrors. Meanwhile, Passan notes both Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association have done literally nothing to protect the young men they work so hard to entice across the border. It's a pretty complex issue that this show is in no way qualified to address, so we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. That's really never stopped us before. So Sam, what are your thoughts? I'm going to give this one national anthem. 
<laughs> and I'm going to give it a national anthem because, yes, I agree that Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association should act, but this is not a baseball issue. Yeah. This is some stone-cold America bullshit <laughs> right here. That is what we're dealing with here. Uh, the, the reason that this, this horrible... Uh, corrupt environment in which these players try to come to the United States exists is not because of any baseball policy. It's because of U.S. policy. Yeah. It's because we have an embargo with Cu- with Cuba. And that is amazing because Cuba is a country that has never attacked us, poses no economic threat to us, and there are other communist nations in the world who we have <laughs> no problem not just having normal diplomatic relations with, but in fact, sending many millions of our manufacturing jobs to. Mm. Looking at you, China. <laughs> so uh, the reason, as near as I can tell, that we still have an embargo on Cuba is basically, fuck you, Cuba. You stuck your thumb in our eye in the 1960s. <laughs> that seems to be about right. And Well, also because there's a very wealthy group of um, former Cuban Amer- who are now Cuban Americans who are living in sure. Florida and influencing American foreign policy. Sure, sure. You know, obviously, Major League Baseball and the Players Association need to come together to come up with a solution to this. And I think based on the publicity that the LA Times article and the Jeff Passan's article has gotten, I think it's pretty likely that something like that will happen. And I think both of those publications are to be commended for bringing this to light. But I think it's more important for us to, on this show at least, for us to use this as a way of looking at the degree to which baseball is a reflection of the culture that it has grown out of. Yeah, I guess I guess I would give it a um, the the same reaction that I had to Jonathan Scope's play at third base uh, the night be- the night before last, which is to say, I sort of stunned confusion. Um, it's one of those stories that I read all the way through and felt every step of the way like, can this be a thing that we are allowing to happen? I mean, that 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 we're okay with. Um, and it seems like we sort of look at these people who, like Puig, are now making millions of dollars and getting bad press for driving his $80,000 car too fast on the highway um, and put them in the sort of category of people like Jay-Z and Beyonce and Shaquille O'Neal and these stars who we know their name of and don't ever, like I, I had no idea that the two years ago he was um, watching someone get literally, you know, shot 50 times and dumped off a boat because uh, that that was not something that I had ever, I'd ever conceived of. Uh, and I think that it's really sort of, for me, been kind of a shocking thing to think about the distance that he has come in the last two years and what it must be like to suddenly have all these adoring fans and also have the fear of physical harm that close in his rearview mirror. Uh, so I totally agree with you in terms of the geopolitical sense of it, but I'm still a little bit uh, shocked by the whole thing. Yeah. Well, I, I also, I mean, I agree. I think that's a really important part of this to keep in mind because, you know, for all the people who are saying like, oh, Puig doesn't play the game right, whatever that ridiculously <laughs> hoary notion even means. Um he plays those, it better than you. <laughs> to those people, also, I would say, when's the last time you risked your life for anything? Yeah, you've. It's a good question. Um, I don't think I've ever done that. Yeah, and I mean, I know there are there are some people who have. I know there are people who are uh, maybe even listening right now who uh, were in the military and have seen combat. And obviously, this is not directed at them, but. For most of us who are just uh, vaguely overweight people who <laughs> like to drink beer and watch men play games, 
it's not really for us to say <laughs> uh, whether or not Yasiel Puig is legit. Dude is legit <laughs> in more ways than just uh, as a baseball player. Well, that is all we have for you for the Melvin Moore Franchise Report, but stay tuned because we are now going to get on the horn with our good friend, Dana Mariano, and talk to her about moving into Puig country. Folks, until recently, our dear friend Dana Veriano was one of the last in a dwindling tribe of which Sam and I count ourselves as proud members. That tribe is called People from Our College Who Moved to New York About 10 Years Ago and Pretty Much Hate It But Have Never Quite Gotten Up the Courage to Leave. Recently, however, Dana's membership card in the P-F-O-C-W-M-T-N-Y-A-T-Y-A-A-P-M-H-I-B-H-N-Q-G-U-T-C-T-L has been revoked because she's accepted a very exciting new position based in Los Angeles and will be moving there in a few short weeks. Now, there's a lot that goes into relocating across the country for a new job in a city you've never visited, and I think we can agree that the most important decision one has to make in that situation is how your life as a baseball fan will be affected. Would you say that's accurate, Dana? I most certainly agree. <laughs> so is, is it in fact true that you have never once set foot in the City of Angels to date? No, no, I did once. Um, okay, okay. My wife has not. Would you mind? So, let's hope that goes well. <laughs> Would you mind if I edit out that part of the intro? Because it sounds more dramatic if you've never been. <laughs> Selective editing is good. <laughs> uh, well, Dana, tonight we'd like to ask you three questions to see if you're adequately prepared for this transition. And you'll be glad to know that Alan Smith, who, as you know, leads a secret double life as a vaguely East Asian philosopher, life coach, and guru, is here to offer some helpful proverbs and mantras for your quest. Are you ready? I am, but how much is his fee? Because I know these people, you know. <laughs> I may be leaving the city, but I am a New Yorker. <laughs> no, no, no. There's no fee. There's no fee. You just have to get 10 other people to call into the show. Oh, that sounds great. And then we'll give you a discount on your next session. Right. Okay, I'm in. But please, a free tote bag. <laughs> I, I can't guarantee that. <laughs> All right, question okay. number one. Would you describe yourself as a Mets fan or a baseball fan? Oh, that's tricky. I definitely would, I would say I'm a Mets fan. But that's hard because I love the sport so much. But um, I think it depends on what, what, uh, in what context I was talking to people. Because mm -hmm. I don't always bring up that I'm a Mets fan right away if I'm talking baseball with someone, because it's usually just a lot of ribbing <laughs> after <laughs> that point. Ah, uh, the old shame factor. <laughs> yes. And it doesn't have to be a Mets game for me to enjoy it, but I, I guess I identify as a Mets fan. Okay. Swami Smith, how does that, how does that strike you? Uh, I think that the initial proverb then for your your journey to the West Coast would be distance lends enchantment to the view of home plate. So, I see your point. As I as I as I interpret what Swami Smith has just said, uh, I think what he's saying is that um, whereas in New York, as a Mets fan. 
you are able to get pretty solid tickets for not too much money at City Field. Uh, you're moving to Los Angeles, where both the Dodgers and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are going to gouge you for the good seats. And I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but that's because they're fielding competitive teams out there. <laughs> See what I mean about the ribbing here? <laughs> so uh, so the, the, what, what he means by distance lends enchantment to the view of home plate is that uh, you're, you're going to be paying the same amount, but you're going to find you're sitting a little bit farther away. But over time, that distance will come to seem to be less and less. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting, not particularly compelling, is what I'm taking from your tone. <laughs> no, no, I'm contemplating what this means for me, considering I always sit in the upper deck. <laughs> like, where, where else can I go? Well, you could sit in the parking lot and listen to the game on the radio. Yes. All right, question number two. To what extent do the Mets represent home for you? Well, <laughs> again, complex. <laughs> they, they, represent, they represent the loyalty of home and the fact that they're always there and they're always consistent. <laughs> um, but I like to think of myself as living in a happy and prosperous home. <laughs> so I, I like to distance that part from the mess of it. <laughs> I'm oh. never afraid to, to turn off a game and walk away if it's ruining my sense of, of home. But um, See, that's very interesting, because I think a lot of people would say, uh, you know, I, I, for example, I know that I would say, especially when I was growing up, I would say, as go the Orioles, so goes my state of mind. But it sounds yes. like you are a mentally healthy person, who is able to separate the fate of your favorite team from your own mental reality. <laughs> well, yes, but that's taken a lot of years. In, in high school, I my mood was totally based on the Mets. Um, and then once the 2000 Mets were over, you know, the, quote, Mets in black, when they changed their uniform and had yep. Ordonia's and Ventura and five errors, I think, between them in one uh, infield for the whole season. Yeah. Once once they were all gone, like my that's kind of where my heart went. Would you so in a way, it's been an easing out. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that's interesting because when uh, Sam, who has been sort of a lifelong Orioles fan and has always sort of lived and died with them, I think I have become a more intense Orioles fan upon arriving in Yankees territory. Uh, and in mm. many ways, in the same way that I have become a more um, avid Southerner, upon getting above the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> Do you think that being west of the Mississippi will actually increase your love of the Mets, or will, you, will, will it get you back to looking to them as a connection to home? Well, I won't be blocked by MLB TV, so that'll be <laughs> right. awesome. That's a win. <laughs> so I can actually watch the game. But yeah, I think it's going to be something that is going to definitely, I'm going to look for it to tie me to New York, and, you know, with fantasy and everything, it's just a fun way to stay focused on it and hang out at least virtually with the people I like. And yeah, I think it's definitely going to make me feel like that's still something I can hold on to from New York, which is really awesome. It's funny to me that Alan just described it as uh, feeling like he became more of a Southerner when he got to New York, because I now imagine child Alan in the deep South <laughs> trying to act as Brooklyn as possible. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I think it's educated, but <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I just imagine you know you, you you had like very thick glasses. Yeah. Uh, Get beating, getting beat up for using five syllable words. The yeah. usual. Yeah. Like you guys, you know, <laughs> growing and eating your own food. It's been done. <laughs> the second proverb for you, Dana Veriano, as you head oh, west. Opportunity never grooves a fastball twice over any man's plate. Oh, I like that one. I think what what this is sort of speaking to is what you said about needing to establish as you've gotten older some space between you and the Mets. And here, this opportunity to move to Los Angeles is the largest example of that yet. You have the opportunity to go very far away, 3,000 miles to be exact, from this thing that has provided so much happiness to you in your life. And uh, that is a very great opportunity. And were you to say, no, I need to stay close to the Mets, I would recommend instant counseling and and treatment to you. (laughs) Do you have any referrals? Because I'm kind of sad now. No. <laughs> also, I will, I will, I will hit the fastball. Yes. <laughs> yeah. First time. Exactly. Exactly. You you gotta you gotta swing at the first pitch, just like uh, insert name of Mets player with bad plate discipline here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. I can hear my dad now screaming, "Don't swing at the first pitch ever! Come on!" <laughs> <laughs> Ike Davis, in his third at bat as a pirate, swung at the first pitch and hit a grand slam. Well, <laughs> Ike Davis is is why I will cry myself to sleep tonight. Again with the ribbing, <laughs> we're coming at you with all the ribbing. We're, we're good at at prepping them for them to leave and be good other places. Yes, yes. You know, uh, you're... we're a preparatory school. <laughs> Ooh, see that's very interesting. I I mean, I bet like if you if you asked every if you asked fans of every major league team to describe the type of academic institution they think their team is. Uh, Ooh. That's good. I'd go Mets as prep school I like a lot. Yep. Uh <laughs> with economics and predatory lending. <laughs> Alan, what what would you say the type of academic institution the Orioles are? Um I would say that the Orioles are a, um, let's see, right now, I would say that they are maybe a internet college seeking (laughs) accreditation. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of your Phoenix University online type (laughs) thing, um, which is trying to throw its its hat into the ring with the the Yales and the Harvards, but hasn't really gotten its books in order yet. But it is it is kind of recognized on resumes by an incre- a slow but steadily increasing number of uh, professional organizations. With an eye roll each time. Yeah. Yes. All right. Question number uh. three. Your your final question. How big a role does baseball play in your feelings about Los Angeles? It, right now, it's playing a pretty big feel, uh, role because. Um, I don't know really what to expect. I've only really been there for three days total, mm-hmm. um, and it was many a year ago. But I did go to a Dodgers game, and I loved it. And so I know that's one thing I can do a lot, um, <laughs> even if I will be sitting in the palm trees above or something, <laughs> or in the parking lot. Yeah. Um, so it's something I'm really looking forward to, and especially all the, the teams that are out west, sort of getting to check a lot of those off my list. Yeah. 
See, I, I really like that. I really like the idea of of your your baseball experiences out there being just like a nice kind of pleasant, safe idea that you can hold on to. Alan and I were talking about this when we went to spring training this year about how going to a baseball game is, uh, for both of us, I think, one of the rare opportunities in adult life to like turn off the no voice in your head and turn off the judging voice and just experience something for what it is. Um, yeah. And it, it sounds like it's kind of having that effect for you in terms of the way you think about the move to Los Angeles. You're like, you know, yes, the stakes are very high and I don't know about this job, X, Y, Z, but I know that there's one wonderful thing there that I get to have. Exactly. We have one more proverb for you to send you on your way. Yeah. Um, which is very simply, castles made of sand fall into the sea eventually. That is deep, man. <laughs> That's exactly what everybody said in 1969. I'm practicing my L.A. This is clearly a reference to Shea Stadium. (laughs) (laughs) Which is to say that uh, when we're younger, we build up these, these institutions, these abstract concepts into fantastical uh, representations of truth in our minds. And then one day the ocean of adulthood comes and just washes it all away. And we are left, Dana, on a blank beach to build sandcastles anew. And that is the moment that you are in right now. Actually, I was I, what I was going for there was when there's an earthquake, you should come back here. <laughs> Or before. <laughs> or before. Or before. Up to you, really. Up to you. Well, I like Sam's version better. <laughs> Dana, uh, I think I speak for both of us when I say we're going to miss you very much. Uh, and we will keep your membership card in the P-F-O-C-W-M-T-N-Y-A-T-Y-A-A-P-M-H-I-B-H-N-Q-G-U-T-C-T-L warm should you ever decide to return to us. <laughs> Thank you. I, I know it's a, it's big. It's like a 20-page membership card because of the number of letters. So <laughs> I appreciate you for storing it in your tiny apartment. Its only value is the price it costs to print them at Kinko's. <laughs> right. One, one hundredth of that price. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Dana. Much love. Same to you. You're listening to Baltimore Ons, the home of the all-weather fan. That over there is Sam Dingman, and this over here is Alan Smith. Now, folks, as many of you are aware, we're always looking to unearth new and interesting secret audio files from the Internet. And we found a good one today. It is a deep cut from Audience of Two, which would be the name of Ben Mastin and I's sketch comedy duo from back in the day. We wanted to play it for you now because it is so heavily relevant to today's Major League Baseball. And by relevant, we mean shockingly, shockingly not relevant. Remember when all these guys were relevant players? It turns out that was only two years ago, Sam. It does make you wonder who on the current rosters that we live and breathe every day will be viewed as equally expendable in 2016. One day in Brooklyn. Hey, I got a question for you. Uh, you want to join my fancy baseball league? Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. What are the stakes? Oh, nothing. 
it, nothing. It's just for you know bragging rights. It's just you don't you don't play for money or anything? no. It's just low key people having fun. People who like baseball. So yeah, I guess so. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Later, in the clubhouse of the Phantom City Muscalunges. All right, fellas, you are all proud members of the Phantom City Muscalunges, one team out of twelve in this year's semi-employed All-Stars Fantasy Baseball League. Now, I know you guys are all excited to get out there and play for your real teams, but the important thing to remember is this. By the end of the season, Sam Dingman's Alexandria Taxi Birds must be smoldering wreckage. I don't care what happens to you in real-life baseball, Dingman must be destroyed. Now, all of you guys have been selected for my team based on your performance last season, so I need you to produce carbon copies of your statistics from last year so that I'm ensured of victory and thereby validated in my ongoing quest for intellectual superiority over everyone, but especially Sam. Are there any questions? Yes, Milwaukee Brewers outfielder Ryan Braun. Coach, we all know baseball is a game of practically endless numerical complexity. But there's also a certain number of X-factors and just pure blind luck that create the mystique which has endeared generations of fans to a game which, in and of itself, is little more... The exact same numbers, Braun. Do I make myself clear? I mean, I'll try, but it's not... Okay, I like that attitude. Shalom. You are referencing the fact that we are both Jews, an uncommon occurrence in real-life Major League clubhouses. Next question, please. Danny Heron, starting pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Hey, coach. Real excited about coming over to the club as part of that trade with the Scrappy Turkeys. Glad to have you, Danny. What do you want? Well, I was just wondering, considering what you had to give up to get me, I'm kind of surprised you didn't go for my Arizona counterpart, Brandon Webb, instead. I did go for Brandon Webb, Danny. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, what, what happened there? Well, Sam sits next to the manager of the Scrappy Turkeys every day at work and convinced the guy that he should pass on the deal. Yeah, because I was going to say, Brandon Webb is a much better pitcher than I am. Yeah, I know that, Danny. He's got a hell of a sinker. Thank you, Danny. I'm aware of the man's ability. So is that the reason you voted to block Sam's trade for Josh Hamilton? Yeah, yeah, it is. But that ended up going through anyway, because the rest of the league wasn't really paying attention? Yes. It looks like Sam outmaneuvered you on this one. Sit down, Danny. All right, anybody else? Oh, Carlos Lee, slugging Houston Astros outfielder. Coach! ¿Por qué es tan importante para derrotar a los taxi birds? Because beating Sam in fantasy baseball, Carlos, matters more to me than finding a job or paying my rent. Now, what are you going to hit for me out there this year? Muchos bambas, coach! That's right. Now, everybody get out there and let's win this thing. Ole! Meanwhile, in the clubhouse of Sam Dingman's Alexandria Taxi Birds. All right, you taxi birds, listen up. The grass is freshly clipped. The kegs of watery American Pilsner have been tapped, and the Franks have commenced fermenting in their disgusting watery bath. Gentlemen, it is baseball season, and you all know what that means. The time has come for you to rise to your one true calling. And what is that, gentlemen? To lead the league in each of the various statistical categories for which Yahoo Sports awards points! Wrong! It is to make Ben wish that he had never told me about this league, to ensure that he spends his nights stalking back and forth around his apartment, muttering to himself under his breath, and raging at the heavens. Now then, Orioles catching prospect Matt Wieters, how are you feeling? Uh, fine, I guess. I, I'm spending the first six weeks of the season at AAA, though. You, you knew that, right? Yes, Matt, I knew that. Now here is the thing. Can I count on you to win the Triple Crown in less than a full season after the Orioles call you up to the major leagues? Um, probably not. Wrong answer, Matt! Now, as you know, I ranked you, Orioles second baseman Brian Roberts, and Orioles right fielder Nick Markakis abnormally high on my draft list, despite the fact that there were other better options readily available. Why do you think I did that, Matt? I don't know. You you don't actually want to win? No! Matt, you're wrong again. 
Listen to me very closely. Beating Mastin in the semi-employed All-Stars fantasy baseball season powered by Yahoo Sports is not just a simple victory, but rather an utter refutation of his bullshit New York-centric worldview. It is, Matt, a struggle of good versus evil. Proof that really loving a team in spite of its shortcomings is in fact more valuable than actual statistical output. But... That, that, that's not true. Shut up, Weeders. Who else has questions? You, Cardinals outfielder Rick Ankeel. Yeah, are you at all concerned that my checkered past, including my use of human growth hormone, will distract from my inspiring story as a one-time pitching phenom who recovered from a crippling elbow injury to become a slugging outfielder in the pride of St. Louis? Two things, Rick. One, you are not the pride of St. Louis. Two, if you help the taxi birds send Ben Mastin into a downward spiral of mania and desperation... You will become the pride of St. Louis. Is that... Really? Does anyone in St. Louis know who Ben is? In my eyes, Rick, you will be the pride of St. Louis. But you live in Brooklyn. And you're in left field. Get the fuck out of here and hit several hundred home runs. All right, does anybody else have anything to say before we get started? Daisuke Matsuzaka, Boston Red Sox All-Star Japanese import. Ohio. Uh, no, I do not think anyone will notice that's the same joke we made with Carlos Lee. Now everybody get out there and validate my summer. Hi. One full Major League Baseball season later. Hey, uh, can we stop for a sec? What? God damn it, Mastin. Uh, sorry, I have to ask you something again. What? Do you remember when I beat you in fantasy baseball? Yes. So? Do you remember how that was an affirmation of the fact that I'm right about everything? I'm better than you in every way. I mean, I didn't really see it that way, but... Do you remember there was also proof that I'm master of my domain? That by virtue of my fancy baseball triumph, I can go forth to claim the bounty that is rightfully mine? Be it woman, job, or delicious sandwich? Are you saying you're going out for a sandwich? I'm also doing other things. Well, go. Okay. The Orioles suck. Yeah, whatever. Bye. Okay. (laughs) He's right about everything. It was true all along. again managed to make it all the way through an episode of Baltimoreans, which every week does seem to be more and more like a feat of great endurance and strength. We don't have much more for you this week, but we did get an old banged up cassette tape in a giant package with a return address in Jakarta. However, as of this show, we've been unable to make anything of the strange set of squeaks and guttural growls that we heard on the tape. We think this may be another episode of Where in the World is Intern Scott Diego, in which our former intern Scotty manages, by hook or by crook, to let us know what we messed up from last week's show, despite being in some remote location on the far corner of the Earth. But since we can't actually deduce what the hell he's talking about on this tape, we're going to have to assume we did a bang-up job. Though, it turns out we did make one mistake on last week's episode. 
Last week's episode, if you do not recall, we welcomed our dear friend Ben Mastin, who is also the co-author of the sketch we just played for you, onto the program to fill out a profile on MLB singles powered by Match.com in hopes that once he filled out this profile, he could go on a series of dates and report back to us on what happened on those romantic adventures. Baseball-flavored love. It was going to be a great segment, and we were very (laughs) excited about it. However... We received the following email this week from the good folks at MLB Singles, powered by Match.com. Quote, Unfortunately, we are unable to approve your profile at this time because part of your text was unintelligible or repetitious. Please note that all written portions of your profile must be in understandable English. In addition, your About Me and Who I'm Looking For portion, to which Ben wrote, Go Yanks, copy and pasted 30 times, must be at least 200 characters without repeating yourself or adding extra spaces or other characters to meet the requirement. Please update your profile and resubmit for approval, to which I would say, MLB Singles powered by Match.com, you know, we can't all be William Butler Yates (laughs) over here. We have asked for Ben to put some goddamn work into his profile and get back to us, so we should have more to report after he gets out there and begins to play the field. As it were... Yeah. You did that on purpose. No. Of course not. Ladies and gentlemen, our program is written and produced by Sam Dingman and Alan Smith, and today featured Dana Variano and the marvelous comedy writing of Ben Mastin. To both of them, we are very grateful. We featured music by Marshall York, Town Hall, Weather Report, Fish, and the Black Crows, and you can find all the episodes of our show at our website, bemorons.com, or in iTunes, where you can join the other truly moronic individuals who have left us a review. We are also on Twitter, at BMorons. Hey, Sam. Yes, sir. What do you call Henry Arudia when he's attempting to cook a lamb stew with only a fraction of the necessary ingredients, much in the same way he attempts to be a professional baseball player with only a fraction of the necessary skills? Henry, I've got the oars, but not the canoe Rudia. And good night. Farewell. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. <laughs>